0: Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Baldo Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostard from Ford Pepsi Max Crew and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is. Look, it's a great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the Bolt, so... Um, <laughs> be, been here before.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on
2: our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing.
0: Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's they're just there's good racing i I enjoy it Mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello
1: and welcome to inside supercars for another week as we look at the final round of this 2015 championship it's the man who it doesn't just get said it gets chanted four time four time once again commentator of the year. Richard Crowell. Good evening, Crowley.
3: Hello, Craig. How are you?
1: I am very well. A man who's now known as Two Time but doesn't get the chanting that Richard gets is from speedcafe.com, Stefan Bartholomaeus. Good evening, Stefan.
2: Thanks, Craig. I have much to learn from from the maestro, Richard Crail about entertaining the crowd, but I'll do my best on the show.
3: Let's just get one thing straight here, Craig. Stefano is actually five time because he won three awards at our Castrol V8 Media Awards presented by Nissan last year. So he's done a significantly better job and much harder work than my good self. So uh, let's let's give him the praise he deserves,
0: please.
1: I don't want to pull him down, but let's just say that you've been entered in four categories and you've won four categories. That is a a pretty damn good record, and uh, congratulations to you. Thank you. Uh, With the... Naval gazing out the way. Let's talk about what happened on the weekend. The Sydney Wrap, and I must say Jamie Winkup and Shane Van Gisbergen, they're going to be teammates next year, Stefan, and they certainly showed that even in different equipment, they are certainly a force to be reckoned
2: with. Yeah, I think ever since it was announced in March that the uh, two would be teammates in 2016, it was uh, a tantalising prospect, but... uh... So he just gave us yeah, a, a little sh- bit entree there on Sunday by going head-to-head for the win. And um, interestingly enough, it was Jamie making a mistake that decided that one because um, from what the teams say, they had enough fuel in hand for for Jamie to actually pop out ahead after that second stop. It would have been pretty close, I would have thought, but um, he bolted down the escape road there at turn eight and uh, ended up second. So... Pretty impressive way for Shane to sign off from Techno with uh, with another
1: win. And, of course, uh, Shane wins in his first race at Techno and wins in his last race for Techno with quite a few others spattered in between, Richard.
3: Yeah, and carried on his strong form at Sydney. Remember, he's won the Sunday race of the Sydney 500 the last three years in a row now. So there's something about that joint and Shane van Gisbergen that really clicks. It was an interesting race on Sunday. I thought it wasn't a thriller by any extent and... I agree with you, Stefan, that it would have been interesting had Triple Eight not had uh, had their dramas and Win Cup had got it out in front. Whether he would have been able to stay there and whether we would have got a, a closer race to the finish, because from everything we saw over the weekend, SVG had immense one lap speed in that car, and and you always felt like he had a little bit in reserve in that Sunday race as well. So, you know, Wing Cup might have been able to beat him out of pit lane, but. The the question could have been, would he have been able to stay there? But obviously that didn't happen, and we got the finish we did. But, yeah, interesting way to end the year, and and as you both said, a tantalising way to set up that new teammate relationship that they've got coming next year at uh, Red Bull Racing.
1: And uh, as you both know, and probably the listener does as well, I love my conspiracy theories and my out-of-the-box thinking. And as both cars were coming down into the garage under safety car conditions to get servicing done, you had, uh, you know, the Techno car on one boom, you had the Red Bull car on another boom, and I'm thinking to myself, next year, I think I would probably like to have Jamie and Craig still on the same boom and Shane on the uh, other boom with the Techno car.
2: Yeah, well, I guess it's it's more than, more than just that, though, because... Um... I think Red Bull. You can't. Uh, you can't argue that it's a much bigger team than, than Techno. It's better resourced in every way, and even equipment-wise. Um, from what everyone says, Red Bull's very open with what they offer to Techno, but um, Techno just have to spend their budget a bit more wisely. And the thing doesn't have all the all the trick bits that, um, that the Red Bull cars do. So um, you can definitely see why the. Uh, the gains would be bigger than the losses for for Shane.
1: Richard, uh, for me, one of the one of the funnier moments was when uh, I asked Jamie about uh, how good is it not going to be blamed for every time he gets to pit in front of Craig Lowndes on his pit boom, and uh, he he came back and said, "Oh no, they'll still blame me for Craig's having bad pit stops." Yeah, of course they will.
3: Yeah, and and what happens is he replaces the most popular driver in the sport with. Uh, one who might not be the most popular, but is up there in the top five or six uh, drivers that everyone wants to see competing at the front of the field in, in SCG. Admittedly, for different reasons, but um, he's still wildly popular. So, yeah, I think if you're Jamie Winkup, sometimes you just, you've just you just got to deal with stuff like that and, and move on in the knowledge that uh, you're probably never going to be universally beloved like a lounge. But uh, he's still the, the best driver in the sport, I think, and... Um, He'll, uh, he'll have his fair share of success. But it really is a, a tantalising prospect, isn't it, that we get to see... See, Johnny Winkup has achieved more in the last 10 years than, than anyone has in the same period of the sport, and a guy that everyone continues to say is the fastest, rawest driver in the paddock, and all of a sudden to get them in equal machinery and should answer some questions. How fast really is Shane Van Gisbergen? Can... What sort of competition will he offer to Jamie Winkup? How good's that rivalry going to be? Will they get on? There's all these little things that that are going to flow through the undercurrent of next year's championship along with everything else that's going to happen with a completely different looking grid, new cars, drivers, teams and sponsors.
1: Mm. And whilst Stefan, Shane said goodbye in the best possible manner, for Tim Slade, he uh, certainly said sayonara in the toughest possible way.
2: Yeah, that was certainly no good. He had a throttle stick there on the super cheap Commodore, and uh, spat him into the wall at 150 km an hour or so at the the second last corner. So uh, a pretty bitter way to end what's been a pretty trying two years for him at Walkinshaw's, and uh, the year the year before that at at Erebus wasn't too great for him either. So um, he's one of quite a few guys that are moving, moving on that has genuine reason for optimism. I think. Um, He'll fit in pretty well there at Bradsey stepping into Fabian Coulthard's car that's um, obviously well-funded with a confirmed primary sponsor there in Freightliner and a car that's won races in the last couple of years. There's a little bit of a question there about how that's going to go with Coulthard leaving and also engineer Phil Keed um, joining him at DJR Team Penske. But there's an opportunity there for Slade to step into a car that's, that's competitive and also have a decent say in the direction of that team going forward.
1: Yeah, and uh, Richard, uh, the interesting thing will be the mix at uh, Brad Jones Racing, because Slade obviously will be expected to be running like a number one, but you've got Jason Bright, the most experienced man in the field, or perhaps the oldest, and also Tim Blanchard there.
3: Yeah, a couple of real straight, very different sort of drivers at different points of their careers, I suppose, at, at BJR next year, but... Um, I, I agree with everything said about Tim. I think it'll be a clean break for him. I think he'll be able to put, as Stefan said, the last two years of very challenging motor racing behind him. And, and it's been a frustrating time for, for Tim. I've known him for a long time. And the, the pressures of, um, of backing up that great year he had with SBR, of course that then became Erebus and the wheels fell off the wagon and things were very, very difficult. Um, and he sort of lost all that momentum that he'd built in his career, and, and he was, if not the next best thing, he was one of that core group of drivers with the McLaughlins and the Pies that were going to be the heroes of, of 2015, probably, but it didn't work that way, so I'm, I'm keen to see how he goes. And and BJR, they've had a strong season. I mean, I remember Fabian Coulthard was right up there in the championship for a good portion of the first half of the year, dropped off in the second half. Bright has been inconsistent, but... Ended the year pretty strongly with pace anyway on the weekend and got a podium as well. So that was promising. And, um, yeah, I, I hope it works out for him because um, he really does deserve it. And he's a better driver than his results of the last uh, two years indicate. Having said that, probably needs some results soon for his career. So it'll uh, be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, it will be. We're going to talk more about uh, some of the things that came to a climax at the Sydney 500 a little bit later in the show. But we'll take a break first and come back And hard to believe we've gone eight, nine minutes already without speaking about our new champion, Mark Winterbottom. This is Inside Supercars.
0: Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Colthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it. means a lot, you know. Through the years, a lot of reference. This race is one of our majors. Six hundred miles around here is no easy task.
3: Uh, we're able to beat the two levels, the boys, and, uh, and meet Anthony Biggin in the final, which
2: uh, we were able to do. Take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the wraps side the family.
0: Inside motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars.
1: Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Stefan Bartholomew and Richard. Richard, it seemed flat on Sunday, and I guess we say this every time the championship's wrapped up before the the last race or the last round, but it did feel flat because you had so many things coming to an end. You knew that there were no longer any Ford money from the minuscule amount that they did have. You you were pretty sure that Pepsi Max were gone and the championship, you know, the Pepsi Max was sprayed on the Saturday for the championship, which was always going to be the uh, inevitable conclusion of last weekend.
3: Yes it was um, and, and as much as uh, I think a lot of people would have loved to have seen Craig Layne storm from behind and win the championship it was very very unrealistic Co- couple of things point out for me for the weekend. One was the, the emotion that Frosty showed on Saturday I thought it was tremendous um, and dedicating it to his mum which has been a, a big storyline of the last 12 months and how a role she's played in the career. And I think also the, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last three months since, you know, they lost Chas Mostert and he became in his position where he's defending this championship lead and Stefan's probably seen more of it of, than I have having, reading all of the comments that would go through Speak Cafe. Um, that there was a relief of pressure of that team being accused of choking again. And, and there was a lot of discussion of that. When their points lead of, was well, three or 400 points was whittled down to 170-odd after Phillip Island. Everyone was going, oh, they're going to choke. They're going to ch- choke. Lowndes is going to come through and win the championship. So the massive relief of pressure from that, which was a brilliant thing, and that was a team that desperately needed a driver's title. Um, get the distinct impression that all this talk about the team's championship that uh, Roland was engineering, because I think he knew that he wasn't going to win a driver's title this year, um, they did not care. It was all about getting num- number one on the door and I think Tim Edwards said as much on the TV on the weekend. Um, so that was great to see and I like the way that they've moved on very, very quickly um, by locking in Winterbottom's sponsor, the Botolo, uh, putting the number one on the door and unveiling all that Monday morning. I thought that was a good move because it sort of moves on any of that talk, talk about Pepsi Max and what's going on behind the scenes in that team. Um, I thought that was very good. So Look, yes, it fell flat Sunday because we didn't have a championship showdown, but reality suggests that we probably weren't going to anyway, and I think the way it wrapped up was good with a hometown boy doing good 15 minutes from where he grew up, and winning the championship on home test certainly helped get some exposure in Sydney and in the Telegraph and on the TV news over the course of the weekend.
1: And, uh, Stefan, I guess one of the interesting things says to me that the team... And Pepsi didn't perhaps have the best departure when you, you know, the day after you win the championship officially, you're getting the trophy that night. You've already got someone else's uh, logos on your car.
2: Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't know internally what uh, what the feeling on all that was, but it was certainly something that was a conversation point on Sunday because we all knew it was coming. Um, whether that uh, Monday launch of the new colours was a was a good thing or a bad thing um to be honest my first thought was that it's um kind of a little bit of a slap in the face you could say to all the fans that excitedly bought their pepsi merchandise on the weekend with the whole championship thing going on and um because a lot of the public obviously didn't know that that was going to happen and um they didn't even get to enjoy their caps and shirts for 24 hours before they were they were literally old hats so uh there's that element, and uh, a little bit confusing for some that aren't really following it closely to see the Champions, Champions Trophy there with uh, a bloke that was dressed like David Reynolds. Yeah. But um, but I'm sure behind the scenes they sorted it all out. I hope Pepsi do stay in a very minor role. There's a little bit of talk that they might um, on one of the other cars. Obviously, it wasn't on the Bottle O car, Um you would have thought that they would have wanted the big run that you should get with winning the championship. Um, I'm sure that the Bottolo announcement would have got a good a lot of media coverage if they'd waited a little bit longer. But um, as I say, I'm not privy to all the reasons why. Um, but there were certainly a uh, few factors involved to make me raise my eyebrows a bit.
1: Mm. Richard, what was your read on it?
2: Uh yeah, I, I agree
3: with that as well. And, and with what I said before was that. It showed that they were, they were a team moving on, and they were a team with commercial ducks in a row, even if Pepsi were going. I agree. I do agree with the comments about hunters <laughs> buying the merchandise and um, that line uh, about being old hat was particularly excellent. This is if Fogues a good was award. there,
1: if Fogues was on this show, he would have pulled you up right there and uh, probably congratulated you and given you another award for the correct use of Literally, which actually got changed a, a few years ago. Because so many people were using literally as a, a thanks, Jeremy Clarkson, for that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so now literally, there is no word in the English language for the actual literal meaning of literally.
2: Anyway, I digress. Well, having only had uh, a few hours sleep after the gala last night, that just officially blew my mind. That bit of conversation, <laughs> so I'm just going to pause for a second while you blokes talk. <laughs> I have nothing more to add on the subject,
3: Craig. I think there's a lot more we can talk about from the weekend.
1: Well, OK, but deserving champion, Mark Winterbottom?
3: Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. They've, they've been the fastest cars for two-thirds of the season, um, and you could argue that they still had plenty of pace in the last bit, even though Red Bull's been doing all the winning. Frosty's been superb. He's won a lot of races. He only had three pole positions this year, but won nine times. So that shows how good his race craft was um worked his way to the front the team were outstanding didn't balls up any pit stops they were consistent they were reliable and then when they had the biggest possible challenge thrown at them when one of their drivers was badly injured in a horrific crash um they continued to focus on the job they needed to do with car five and they executed so 100 percent deserving champion really good champion Mm. no argument for me on that
1: all right we'll take a break here on inside supercars but
0: Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year
2: in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as the yeah, cars in Australia is where i myself. Second crack at the Australian
3: Times
0: since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au
1: Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Who would have thought you'd stop a show right before the last race of the year? Just sometimes I don't understand things. Guys, out of Sydney, Lee Holdsworth, interesting story. He's, he's defined by change, Stefan. It's never really worked out to be a change for the better, has it?
2: Well, it's, it's just been change... Change change for him, as we've, we've talked about on the show before, and um, another milestone, even though he's not uh, not switching employers. Um, Charlie Schwerkolt obviously moving away from War and starting his own team there in Melbourne with Jeff Grek heading that up and, and buying a 888 chassis that they're going to get delivery of pretty soon. Um, Lee actually won, it was a bit of a, a surprise one, uh, the Driver's Driver Award, which was voted on by all the drivers, um, and he got a bit emotional, uh, when he was interviewed on the floor at the gala last night by, uh, by Gregory Rust. Um, it's, it has been a really tough, tough couple of years for him, especially this year because the move away from Erebus there to Walcature, it looked like the, the sun was going to shine. Well, that's what he thought anyway. And, uh, it was uh, certainly not, uh, not an easy season. So, um. A lot of people in the paddock would like to see a few results come his, his way next year because he's certainly put the hard yards in and he's pretty popular amongst his colleagues as that proof.
1: Mm. And Richard, the, the real kicker is the fact that when he signed with Charlie, he thought he was going to um, what was then FPR but now Pro Drive Racing Australia. And as you're watching those Fords and taking off in the distance and just building up a huge championship lead and you're sitting in there in the fourth car out of the Walkinshaw stable, you'd be thinking to yourself, how did that happen again?
3: Yeah, but there'd be reason to be optimistic when you're moving to Walkinshaw's with the increase in form that, um, that the Holden Racing Team has shown over the last few years and um, continue to do so on the weekend with strong qualifying from Courtney on the Sunday. Yeah, look, a victim of circumstance and perhaps some bad decisions in there along the way or or misinformed decisions, and you just never know the ins and the outs of what happens unless you talk to the driver and, and or driver manager and team owners and, and get the inside story, none of which is usually publishable until uh, they write their autobiography when they retire. But, um, yeah, tough tough for with, but you've got to say that everything that they've put together so far for next year looks extremely promising. Their chassis on the grid... Um, Championship-winning team manager coming back after a hiatus from the sport. Um, that's pretty exciting for me to see Jeff Gregg back in the game. Um, and clearly, a, a well set up. It's going to be a lean and mean, and yet probably reasonably well-funded operation. So, sounds promising. Uh, and you just, as Steph said, you just hope it works for the guy because um, he's had a rough, rough time of it. And we all know that he's a better race car driver than the results that uh, that he's been able to produce over the last. Several
1: seasons. Now, I know Speed Cafe did do a poll on who is the guy having the best move, and I, I imagine the next man we're going to talk about, Stefan, Will Davison, was the one that won that poll. Oh, well, no, they, actually, the Giz would have, sorry.
2: Yeah, Shane did, but um, as we sort of just very briefly touched on before when we were talking about Tim Slide, um, it's one of those silly seasons that um, almost everybody um, has genuine. Reason and not just in PR speak, but to be quite quite pleased with their move. Um, whether it be a driver going to an environment that's going to suit them better, or, or someone like Fabian Coulthard, who's gone from a team that can win races but proves time and time again it can't do it for the season, to a more long-term project there with with DJR Team Penske that's um, going to fight for the championship at some point. Um, and so, with uh, yeah, certainly with Will. Um, he was in a situation where um, he was not going to win a championship with Erebus, certainly not in the next few years. And uh, he and his management obviously felt that at the age he's at, they needed to take some pretty drastic action and, uh, and quit their four-year contract two years in. Took a pretty big pay cut to go to Techno. Um, but I'm sure as Shane left him there on Sunday... Um, the groan wouldn't have quite as been as loud in the Will Davison helmet as it would have been a couple of months ago when that would have happened because he knows he's going to jump in that techno car next year. So it's that's a pretty good solution I think out of that whole deal for the team and and for the driver that'll get him get him up and about and uh, he certainly those that know Will Davison knows he he loves his head uh, and center mythology and all the history of it and stuff. So to have Steve Hallam there, I think he's pretty he's pretty amped about that too
1: and uh, ahead of Richard's comments I will say that we've spoken to Daryl Clemenko and to Will Davison and they've both given us their point of view on that change and also uh, Daryl Clemenko has given us some very very interesting comments about the team and, and where he believes the team is at so that's coming up in the weeks ahead here on Inside Supercars Richard your thoughts on Will
3: uh, oh, look, no, brilliant move, good move. Um, Will's a fantastic driver, and he's performed well for every team he's driven for, including Erebus, because you've got to bear in mind what they achieved at Barbageli this year. Um, so, yeah, great move, absolutely move. And, and for Van Gisbergen to Triple Eight move, is great. But in terms of a leap in performance, the Davison from Erebus to Techno move is probably the best of the off-season, I think. Um, and all power to him and Taps. His manager, David Siegel, I know, is quietly chuffed about uh, making that, uh, that all work and get Will into a very, very good car for, for next season. And I hope we can see him at the front because um, he's a good dude and he's a very, very good racing car driver and deserves to be at the front of the field. Mm.
1: And, Stefan, when I put it in the context like this, it doesn't sound anywhere near as bad for David Reynolds, who's moving to the only non-Ford and Holden Victor in 2015 for his new season?
2: Well, yeah, to be honest there, I think um, out of all the blokes that have sort of moved with Van Gears, Coulthard, Dave O, James Moffat, who we haven't spoken about, is going from Nissan to the and Timmy Slade. Um, yeah, I think on my on my worksheet, I would have David Reynolds in the uh, that's not gone so well column. Uh, it's going to be a big, big challenge for him next year. With yet that team, yet, there's, yet there's on that a lot. stat...
1: Stephen, yet on that stat alone, it's a better move than going to Nissan or to Volvo because they were more successful this year. Based on based on Based on race wins. Based on race wins.
3: Yeah, but they won one race. Scott McLaughlin got what, seven poles? And didn't win a race but came pretty close a couple of times. I don't know, Greg. I think that's um the the win column is important, I agree, but Judging a season on just that um, is very, very difficult, and I don't think... Um,
2: you know, I agree with Stefan that...
1: Don't, that Stephen. don't pay so, points so for polls. Craig,
2: Craig, in the last... And we don't want to sound like we're beating up on any one team here, but in the last 15 races, Erebus did not score a single top-ten finish. That is a diabolical outcome for any team in the V8 because when the competition is that close.
1: Luckily, David's got a very good pair of rosy-coloured glasses.
2: Well, I thought you'd have to lend him yours, but it uh, sounds like it would
1: be fine. <laughs> Although, one of the, the funnier moments of the weekend, you were at one end of it, I was at the other end of it, Stefan. Um, David, no sooner than he said, uh, thanks, Craig, on the interview you'll hear in a few weeks' time, I thought it was funny that Mark was coming up and sort of giving him a cuddle and saying, good job, David, but it was really just a ruse for the rest of the team to then go and mug him They've uh, raced, taped him up and uh, delivered him down the end of the pit lane you were in, Stefan.
2: Yeah, certainly not the first time that's been done in the history of motor racing, but they certainly did it to a pretty uh, pretty high level, as uh, m might say. Um, they certainly used the rest of the duct tape they hadn't used on the cars during the season, and uh, it took maybe a bit, of a bit of a time to untie himself from that, but uh, he certainly took it in the good spirit that it was meant. And uh, on the other point, I think... Um, Dave from from everything he said and his body language with it, he's pretty realistic on what um, what he's going to be able to do next year, which is important. Like if he went blazing in there thinking he was going to just turn a few knobs and turn it into an FGX in uh, in three minutes, um, he'd be in for a world of pain. But uh, he knows that it's going to be a project that needs to be built from a, a pretty low base, and there's there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes work going on that could see significant. Uh, Portions of that Erebus package change before next year. So uh, we'll just see how that plays out in the next couple of weeks.
1: It's going to be an interesting one, Richard.
2: Yeah, it really will be. Uh,
3: that's going to be one of the great stories. We, we Stefan touched on it briefly. James Moffat to Volvo has to be another one of the great the great off-season moves. Um, not that the Nissan was uncompetitive, but the Volvo's clearly been the better mousetrap over the last two seasons. So that's really good. And the other thing I'm looking forward to there is his huge internal battle with um, with Scott McLaughlin who's one of his close mates um, they get on really really well um, will that relationship change or will they just work together really well to drive that team forward clearly that's been the part of the puzzle that they've been lacking in that outfit clearly and um, he's having a second competitive driver or race winning driver the, the calibre of a Scott McLaughlin so we know Moss is very, very fast. We know that he can win motor races, so that's that's going to be an interesting story to follow. So, what you think, Stefan? But next year is to see where they those guys push each other along, and as a result, whether they can elevate the team to be uh, regular race winners and indeed championship contenders. Mm.
1: Interesting. Whilst we talk, Nissen for a moment, guys. Did anyone think out of the four cars, there was a disproportionate amount of damage to one of the four across the weekend? I go to
2: you, Stefan. Um, well, I mean, he's, he's pushing hard, isn't he? A few of those, a few of those incidents that Moff was in, like he got, uh, he got by Courtney pretty badly on the last mm-hmm. lap of the season, which is always a bit of a bit of a bitter one. But um, you certainly can't say that Moff has uh, given anything less than his all in uh, in his three years there, and he he did score their only win and uh, and second at Bathurst. So. Uh, for what he delivered in vent panels, he also delivered in a bit of champagne for them, which was pretty pretty highly needed. And as Richard said, certainly the um, the battle there with with Scotty Mack in, in the Volvo's will be one of the many interesting facets of next year. It um, also then has connotations for Seventeen because I think more than anything, there the pressure is going to be on on Gary's boys to deliver a car that um, is going to make Scotty want to stay for for Seventeen. Um, because he's going to be the big player in the in the silly season. And certainly uh, I know of a couple of teams that have already contacted him and it's not just uh, the one that seems to be rolled out. People talk about Walkinshaws um, because they played for him in, in Serdane but uh, there's some pretty heavy hitters looking at him uh, outside of that,
1: that camp. And if they're not, they're not doing their job, let's face it. If anyone on pit road's not looking for a driver of his quality, then they're not doing their job. That's the bottom line. Uh, Richard, um, just before the break, uh, we've got Gary Rogers Motorsport. We're talking about it, and uh, fantastic! Gary becomes a, a new member of the Hall of Fame in the V8 Supercars.
3: Yeah, and it, Queensland Raceway this year they had a, a, a display of, of some of Gary's old cars, and they dusted them off from everywhere. They had the, the Bathurst 24 Hour winning Monaro, had one of his old Group C Commodores. They had Tirana and. It was only then, I think, that that people that might be new to the sport or might not be as hardcore fans as the three of us that go, oh, this guy's got an amazing record, not just as a team owner, but as a driver. Um, And he achieved an awful lot in the sport as probably a leading privateer. Never ever had the, the works opportunity to do it. And then as a team owner, I think his impact has been incredibly significant because not only has he always had Either quite competitive or very competitive racing cars, but um, he's always done it without an enormous amount of financial backing. Not right before the Volvo era, anyway, with a good budget, but never a, an enormous budget. And he's always given the young blokes a go, and he's always had this track record of bringing these fantastic drivers. and he still jokes to this day about Winkup being the one he um, he you know, let slip through the through the cracks because he didn't think it was good enough at the time, and we all know what happened there. But The number of young guys to have come through Gary's and be successful is is outstanding, and I think on that basis alone is worth an induction. But um, for his broader career and what he's achieved over a long time in the sport, um, very, very worthy, worthy addition to the Hall of Fame. And um, in in the same way that Evan Green was to the Media Awards, uh, Media Association Hall of Fame on Friday night, I think Gary's to the V8 Supercar one was uh, very worthy.
1: Mm, Stefan, you uh, heard his comments on... Monday night, and 52 years, I think it is, he's been either racing or owning cars in Australian motorsport.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the thing that's, um, I guess, for want of a better term, the most impressive for me is that, um, you know, he's uh, he's worked in his life to be in a good position to be able to um, run a racing team and, and maybe top up the funding if he needs to um, in this day and age, but um, to actually still want to do it at 70 and to to speech like you did last night at the gala so enthusiastically about the sport. And Gary's not one to just to perhaps use one of the phrases he would use to just bullshit everyone and tell everybody how rosy the championship is and how it's all great great. Just for spin, like he uh, he genuinely believes in the product and that it can work through the challenges it's it's had and it's got so, um Yeah, it was a very well-received Hall of Fame induction there last night.
1: Mm. Well, a break here on Inside Supercars. When we return, we'll talk about whether we are going back to the Olympic Stadium, or at least the Olympic Park, in 2016. This is Inside Supercars. I hope you'll stay with us.
0: Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page...
2: for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. there actually needs to be Inside a Inside
0: Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars.
1: Welcome back to Inside Supercars. As Rich Crail and Stefan Bartholomeus. Join me, Craig Revell. And... Uh, Stefan, I know we had a bit of a chat after Sydney about the future of the sport. I certainly was getting mail from team owners that the track would shorten, and you were getting exactly the opposite story from James Warburton earlier in the weekend.
2: Yeah, well, I guess I had a bit of an advantage there because I already had the on-the-record quotes from James Warburton saying that it definitely wasn't happening. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting situation, and the um, yeah, supercars uh, to sum it up I guess are insisting that they will at the very least go back to Sydney Olympic Park next year which is the last year of the current contract um, it's uh, it's an event where the supercars promotes and they take the financial risk which unfortunately has traditionally meant a fairly substantial financial loss um, there is obviously benefits, there's holistic benefits for the category to be running a street race in that market but um, when everybody's looking at how to improve the balance sheet, um, the big loss that they take on that race is um, is not something that's all that easy to swallow. And they they work very hard um, closely with their engineering partner, IEDM, on how they could uh, make the precinct smaller and cheaper to cheaper to create in terms of street circuit and run the event and have less stakeholders involved cut the two um, big stadiums out by turning left at the current turn two chicane so they would go down Olympic Boulevard if that could have been re uh, or sealed because it's currently just pavers but um, there's so many uh, so many externalities involved in that Olympic Park precinct that it's been it's been knocked on the head and seemingly it might it might spell the death of that event Fair Supercars has been working through this year on on a Gosford street race proposal that um, is believed to be fairly well advanced and um, it appears that uh, the ideal outcome for the 8 supercars may well be actually to uh, to get a deal done up there, only 70 or so case further north, um, whether that be for 16 or more likely 17.
1: Mm. Richard, your thoughts on what Sydney Olympic Park has done for the championship and what you think the legacy would be if it is indeed the last year next year?
3: Uh, I think it would have a good legacy uh, aside from the obvious financial implications by running an event that's not profitable or apparently not profitable and you put that aside I think it's got a good legacy it's it's created some good moments and in the past it's created some good racing I was disappointed in the product on track on the weekend, I thought it was flat very flat and not just because of the, the championship situation but um, I, I think it proved again that the, the two races on Saturday probably aren't best for producing the best, um, the best quality on track entertainment. Lack of a soft tyre would be the same. And even Sunday's race for most of it wasn't, uh, wasn't massively compelling. So uh, that aside, it's got great history. It's created some fantastic moments. To go back to 2010 and that Saturday race, which in my memory of going to V8 Supercar events, still one of the more dramatic days I've ever experienced at a racetrack, um, and decided the championship that year was astonishing. Um, and it's great, and it looks it looks brilliant. And photos from the venue, the curbs, it's brilliant. Um, the, the imagery, especially from the chopper of the stadiums and all the stuff for the Olympic heritage and the precinct itself is fantastic, but I think it's always suffered from being a bit big and um, there has to be a way, I'm sure, of shortening the circuit without running it down um, that Olympic boulevard down the middle path. Um, stadium Australia, because as Stefan said, it's all brick and would be very difficult to do without resurfacing. So I'd like to see it stay, and, and if that means a shorter circuit, then so be it. But um, if it can't and the benefit of the sport is that it, they have to go somewhere else that can be financially viable then so be it. But mm. from a legacy point of
1: view, I think it's got a good one. And of course, as we know, that you're only allowed to have a yard of brick on any great race circuit. <laughs> Stefan knows that more than anyone else or will do in the upcoming year, uh, Stefan. I yeah, I'd love to see some of the alternate designs, and uh, I don't know if they'll ever be released. But I guess we've got to ask the question eventually to to see how they were going to look at it, because I actually have this ridiculous idea that you could come down through turn turn one, down Kevin Coombs Avenue to where the the chicane is, which is basically where the Coopers uh, stadium is. And at Olympic Boulevard there, instead of turning up Olympic Boulevard, have a have a Macau style hairpin and then go firing back down the other side of the street before you turn into the, the inner complex, if you like. And I just think that would be something that you just, you know, Simmons Blaine's got a fantastic hairpin, but this would be Macau-esque.
2: Well it's a shame they didn't uh, get uh, get you on the uh, get you on the team for that one, but uh, yeah like it's um, if you look at a map of the current precinct it's um, it's not too hard to work out what the plan was as we' were saying to turn less to turn 2 and then um, it wasn't just straight across the new boulevard. Right? it was uh, it had a couple of ninety degrees in it, but then it would just join up at the train station yep.
0: um,
2: but but part of all this, as we were saying before, was the fact that there's a lot of development proposals around reinvigorating that area. And one I even saw today, a government one just very briefly, had a bloody big tram line going straight down the current front straight. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more behind the scenes to why things will or won't work there than uh, than we can see.
1: Mm. And let's face it, Viet Supercars have taken and used my ideas before, so they just needed to ask.
2: <laughs> I'll let that one go through, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, <correct. laughs>
1: L- Look, uh... There is, uh, there is going to be, of course, the changes to Sydney Olympic... Oh, sorry, not the changes, the, an end to Sydney Olympic Park at some stage. It's whether it is too soon or whether, if you're uh, paying the cheques, whether it's been too long, and that, that'll that be something that I guess people will debate for a long, long time. But uh, it's definitely got a legacy. And at the moment, I think one of the critical things, Stefan, is the series under James Warburton, the betting down of the television deal this year... It still has haters, but, you know, um, if you can make uh, everyone happy, then you must be doing something wrong. Um, Definitely 2016, there is a huge emphasis on getting the fans back to the racetrack and making sure that these, you know, what they're now calling heritage events become more and more profitable. And that's an interesting one because they don't own all the heritage events.
2: Yeah, they certainly promote a, a fair portion of the overall schedule. It's currently 10 out of 14 or so. But, um, yeah, there are some independent ones like, uh, like Winton and so on and so forth that, that do their own. But, um, yeah, they, they need to be getting more people events. They need to be getting more people watching on TV and et cetera, et cetera. It's, a, it's an ongoing battle in a, in a com- very competitive market for people's attention, basically. So uh, it's a war on all fronts.
1: Mm. and uh, I guess Richard if one thing comes out of this year and if they don't go back it it becomes the only street race that the super trucks can't save
3: (laughs) are they saving other ones though?
1: they haven't heard any other ones
3: well no, true true, but um, yeah, no, the super trucks aside it's going to be interesting to work out And, and street circuits as we know are such a strange animal that some, in some markets, work and work brilliantly. And Stephen and I hail from a small country town in southern Australia, which does one particularly well. Uh, Townsville works superbly. Um, and the Darwin event, to be fair, is as good as a straight circuit event, um, even though it's on a permanent track, but we're going get used to a huge amount for the rest of the year. Um but in some markets they don't work, and they might not stick around for so long. But um, that's why they keep trying to find new ones and try and find that special formula of being a market that that has a, a need or a craving for that kind of an event, like Adelaide does. Um, and the government or an, an industry or whatever it might be behind it to support it financially to make sure it's um, it's viable for everyone's um, everyone's going concern. So that'll be the key here. And if they don't replace it in the short term, and Gosford doesn't get up. I'm sure you find another way of having an adequate finale at a good racetrack somewhere that can put on a good show. I always um, loved
1: those Phillip Island finales. They were fantastic too.
3: Well, I thought the, the Eastern Creek ones were brilliant as well, but um, you, you've just got to promote it right and you've got to make it attractive for pundits to want to go and for people to want to watch on uh, watch on the television. Mm.
1: The good thing about the Phillip Island ones is people turned up. I can't say well, the same for the Eastern Creek well, ones. I, I
3: don't know. I've watched some old... Marcus Ambrose, oh three, oh four years.
2: There's a lot of people at uh, Sydney
1: Motorsport Park for those. Mm. All
2: right. Yeah, I think the the Atmos there at uh, SMP, if you can feel that grandstand like they used to do in the day, is mm. probably better in in some ways. Certainly for the for the champion celebration than it is at Phillip because the the fans are so far away there and they're they're normally so cold they can't actually see what's going on. So, yeah, um, yeah like I I do feel though that like. The real one of the real strengths of the V8 Supercars is its events. When you look at it compared to something like the British Touring Car Championship, uh, the mega events the V8s have, and quite a few of those street races really set it apart. And uh, it's, I think it is good to finish on a street circuit. But at the same time, I don't know about you blokes, but every Monday morning after one of these street races, when I'm, well, whenever you're leaving a comm like was uh, yesterday, that's right near the track, I just shake my head and go I can't believe that they built these things and then rip them all down again and it's yep. all deemed economically worthwhile but uh, obviously bigger bigger brains than, than mine work all that out mm.
1: I, I posed to a team owner this weekend that uh, James Warburton's abilities to uh, bind the masses and I'm, when I say the masses I mean the stakeholders together and to get them all on the same song sheet has been amazing and it's, it's almost a case now where for many, many years the tail has wagged the dog, that being the owners, have sort of wagged the rest of what V8 Supercars is, which is more than a championship. It's a production house. It's an events company. It's, uh, you know, um, it's got so many different strings to its bow. And there's always been that one part that has always been waving waving hard and shaking the rest of the body of the dog. And, Stefan, do you... Also share my feeling that now the body of the dog is in control of all its limbs.
2: Well, you've uh, you've left me a trap here because I'm a little bit uh, a little bit short of words. As I my excuse, I preloaded earlier was a bit tired, but um, to try to flow along with this, I reckon. I reckon you've got some good points there with the way the business is structured with events and TV and all that stuff, but when it comes to the comes to all the key racing decisions, the dog's still got a lot of oversteer on it. It's it's on the lock stops with that tail really controlling where it's going. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a big topic to bring in at this point.
1: Yeah. I yeah. never that's shirk away from the big topics. That's an
3: off-season discussion, Craig, that needs its own show.
1: <laughs> well... We might just have to uh, We might have to do that. We do need to take a break and a final thought here on Inside Supercars.
0: Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it. means a lot, you know. Through the years, a lot of reference this race as one of our majors. Six hundred miles around here is no easy task.
2: We uh, were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Biggins in the final, which uh, we were able to, do, to um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, reps of family.
0: Inside motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. <music>
1: Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottle O Racing Team and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought, Richard Crowell. Oh, you always bloody spring these on us. All right, a final thought. I always spring them on you because they're that infrequent. uh,
3: I'm going to have a crack on this. Um, A final thought relating to V8 Supercars this year. It's been a really, really challenging season in a lot of respects, but I think my final thought needs to be well done to Mark Winterbottom and to PRA, the artist formerly known as Full Performance Racing, for finally cracking the driver's title, because for so long, they'd been good but not great. And now they can say with every justification in the world that they're a great team, and that's that's well deserved, and that's what you want to see in sport, is in any kind of sport, is you want to see a good team that's really, really good but just can't quite crack it for that elusive premiership or title or victory. You want to see them finally achieve that, and I think it's a good story that they did. So
2: that's that's my final thought.
1: All right, Stephen Bartholomaeus, so a final thought or observation.
2: Yeah, well, I guess it's a bit of a, a bit of a soft final thought to end the season on, but because uh, didn't really speak about it before. Certainly, you know, you asked Richard whether Mark is a deserving champion, and I think. Um, you have to go a long way to find somebody who says that he's not. Um, and the story of of his career, and he's genuinely one of the guys that grew up with with not anywhere near enough money that even he shouldn't have had the audacity to think he could be a racing car driver. But just on ability and commitment from from his family and himself, he uh, he made it. He obviously shone in carts, and um, and as as I wrote about on the weekend, like Ford played such a, such a role in his career. Um, he won the Ford Kart Stars and got a $100,000 scholarship to do for my Ford, And, uh, he obviously started in that and then went on to DVS with Stonies and, then main series with Larkham's and then a, a long run of commitment to FPR. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a long journey. And, uh, I think there are quite a few people pleased with he's had a lot of critics. FPR has had a lot of critics, throw drive, whatever. But, um, I think uh, you couldn't begrudge them the success that they ended up with, and it was just just that little tinge of irony that uh, Ford was completely absent from uh, from the whole weekend, the whole season when uh, when everything had pretty much turned out the way it uh, the way it had meant to for, for quite some time. But the other thing, just to end on, is the fact that uh, they've got uh, they've got the big trophy, but pro-drives certainly cannot go into the off season. Uh, Putting the feet up and resting on the laurels, because uh, the way Red Bull came back in that second half, arguably last third of the year from Sandown onwards, onwards particularly with with Jamie's speed, they uh, that was arguably more impressive than the speed that Prodrive carried through the first part of the year. So uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be another massive mountain to climb for for Frosty to go back to back. That's for sure. Mm. Well said.
1: My final thought was going to be to a good friend of ours here at Inside Supercars who had a lot to do with Mark Winterbottom, Paul Marinelli, who would have been, I wouldn't mind betting, shedding a tear when uh, Frosty took that championship win. Unfortunately, wasn't able to be in Sydney with us all to enjoy it. But since Crayley didn't back up a fantastic observation um, from Friday night, which he's already stated was a long time ago, I'm going to steal his. And I'm going to say what a crazy year it was when at the beginning of the year Bathurst 12 Hour was an absolute uh, no-no and you could get yourself you've, in all sorts of trouble if you even thought about it. To the end of the year they were selling tickets for the 2016 edition of the Bathurst 12 Hour at the gates of the Sydney 500. I thought... That was a, a fantastic observation and I don't want to rip it off you without crediting you for it, I, Richard Crow.
3: I appreciate that, Craig, and I'm glad you said it because uh, it sums up this year completely and utterly
1: perfectly. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. We will be back for a few more weeks at least because that's how much there is going on in this sport. So, Stefan, congratulations once again. I know you are batting, battling through a horrendous fatigue and some ill-advised companionship with a Mr. Tony Shabeki who has led you astray. Um, Richard taught him everything he knew and you should have known that was a real trouble uh, when you did start that way.
2: Yeah, he can drink that man, but good on him.
1: <laughs> and uh, Richard Crowley, fantastic working with you throughout the year as well, Crowley.
3: Thanks, uh, Craig, and, yep, thanks, Stephen, as well. Great
1: season by you and the team at Speedcast. Until next time round. keep smiling. And bye for now.
0: Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.